Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. So today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest is Chad Gentry. He attended the University of Tennessee uh, Knoxville campus and received his Doctor of Pharmacy degree from the University of Tennessee Health Sciences Center. Chad has primarily spent uh, his professional career in academia and has practiced in several interprofessional primary care clinics while on faculty at ETSU or East Tennessee State University and Lipscomb University, which is located here in Nashville. He is board certified in ambulatory care and is a certified diabetes educator. Dr. Gentry has served on as a in multiple leadership capacities involving experiential education and interprofessional education. He's published numerous manuscripts and presented, served as a reviewer for several journals, and is active with several pharmacy associations. Chad, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Oh, Hillary, thanks for having me this morning. Well, great to be with you. And now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps from that intro or share a little bit about your personal life. Yeah. So uh, my wife and I moved here uh, in that, to Nashville and about eight years ago uh, to take the job at Lipscomb. Um, we have a black lab that we've had for about eight years. We, we wanted to start with the lab before we started a family. And so we did that. And we recently had um, our son about six months ago. So we're, we're navigating the, um, the new pleasures of, of parenthood. So it's been a, a welcome challenge for sure. And the new pleasures. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> well, um, that's wonderful. And, um, I always like to hear a little bit more about, uh, the personal side of our, uh, guests, uh, so that, that our listeners can kind of connect and relate to that. So Chad, you hold an adjunct faculty position. uh, uh, Well, you're, you're primarily at at Lipscomb university, but you also hold an adjunct faculty position at Vanderbilt university school of nursing and have served as a health policy associate at the Robert Wood Johnson foundation for health policy at Meharry medical college. Um, and you've done some, you've got some extensive experience in the translational science of interprofessional education into collaborative practice. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, maybe let's start out about like interprofessional education and um, talk a little bit more about what that Meharry Vanderbilt Alliance for Interprofessional Education um, Collaborative looks like. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that you see kind of nationally with interprofessional education is classroom work, simulation work in, you know, in the building or in the simulation center in colleges of pharmacy or any other health sciences. One of the things that you also um, will see that there is a lack of translating that into practice. So, the interprofessional collaboration into practice is something that we've been, we've been trying to work on uh, over the last, you know, um, five to six years or so. So kind of to answer your question and kind of explain a little bit more about um, kind of the inner 
workings and the, the web of interprofessional education that I have here. Um, I'd like to first kind of talk about um, the interprofessional education and collaborative practice um, with the School of Nursing, because I think that will help kind of springboard with Mary Vanderbilt Alliance. So um, eight years ago, um, we, we started the clinic at Mercury Courts here in Nashville. And when I say we, uh, it was a collaborative effort between the Vanderbilt University School of Nursing, Urban Housing Solutions here in Nashville. It's a, the largest section, Section 8 housing provider here in, in the Nashville area. And then Lipscomb University College of Pharmacy was also on that grant as well. Um, to take the, the science of education in the classroom and translating that into practice. And so with that, um, we were able to expand some opportunities throughout the city. And so I was asked, asked to um, serve on the Mary Vanderbilt Alliance Interprofessional Collaborative Faculty um, Committee um, or group. And so that, that group meets once a month. And one of the things that we've been trying to do, I think I've been on there for about six to seven years now, is, um, you know, trying to solve um, maybe a, a social determinant of health or a social problem with interprofessional students. So nationally, what you see um, is that, you know, colleges of pharmacy, colleges of medicine and nursing are running out of space on our campuses to provide interprofessional education. So the thought with the Mahalia Venable Alliance um, Interprofessional Collaborative is that we will go out into the community, partner with community partners, such as uh, a housing um, project or a senior center or a day home or something like that, and try to um, figure out what that community partner needs and have our interprofessional group kind of solve, help solve that problem. And so the Meharry Venable Alliance started, I think it's been, I think it was in 1999. Um, so I think they just celebrated their 20th anniversary. Um, and that collaboration started with Meharry Medical College and Vanderbilt University um, School of Medicine. And so over the course of time, they've asked other partners to come on. And this interprofessional collaborative, we have about five different institutions um, represented on the collaborative, as well as um, which represent about 10 uh, different professions. So all across the city, um, you know, it's a very interprofessional and interinstitutional um, collaborative, which is unique uh, from what we've found um, in our research. Yeah. That, that's really interesting. Um, and, you know, t talking more about the translating of that interprofessional education, taking that from the classroom to uh, be able to, to simulate that into practice, but actually looking at those community partners to, you know, what would actually help them and serve their needs, not just Hey, we can come up with something. Um, I love that approach uh, of um, looking at what they need help with and then figuring out how um, the different interprofessional groups can solve that. And um, that model has has been recognized. Um, you've 
uh, gotten an award for um, innovative interprofessional practice and leadership um, from the Tennessee Pharmacist Association uh, as an Excellence in Innovation Award, and um, have been uh, received the an award from the Vanderbilt University School of Nursing as a friend of nursing uh, and a distinguished fellow of the National Academies of Practice and Pharmacy. So, uh, love seeing all of that, and um, I think that's really great to be able to have the students be in that kind of kind of environment. And what a benefit of being in Nashville, where we've got what the Athens of the South, we've got so many different exactly. universities to partner with. Um, but I think for people that are out in other places in the country that maybe don't have so many other universities, um, you know, you probably have a local hospital or um, some other type of of healthcare provider that would be a great partner. So, yeah. Well, Chad, let's talk a little bit more about um, Mercury Quartz. Uh, you've that's a really interesting uh, model there, and I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So, as I kind of alluded to earlier, we um, we started this clinic. Uh, it's been it was in August of 2012. So coming up on eight years um, soon. And so the original um, thought, and we're, we're located about two miles from downtown Nashville. The original thought of the clinic was to um, try to reduce um, unwanted um, ED visits um, from this area, from this zip code um, in Nashville. And so we are embedded in a in urban housing solutions which is as i mentioned earlier is a housing provider here in nashville and we primarily serve uh, the homeless um, the residents of urban housing solutions so they have about 20 almost 30 properties i think um, right under 30 properties throughout the city and so we kind of serve as their kind of their um, medical home for instance um, but we really see anyone that, that um, wants to come in. And so we started it from nothing. Uh, I mean, we would see one or two people a day. Um, and then about a year and a half in, so well, let me back up just for a second. So that first um, year, um, I pretty much, my role here um, was to really be a consultant um, because the, the, the team here, we had a physician, nurse practitioner, um, and social worker had never really worked with a pharmacist before. And so I was really just really trying to build relationships that first six months to a year. Um, you know, I, I remember the first, um, the first couple months I was here cause I'm not here full time. I'm over at, the, at Lipscomb, um, most of my time, but I remember there's, there's a distinct moment in that first few months I was sitting behind, um, the nurse practitioner, and um, he was on Hippocrates looking up dosing or adverse effects or something like that. And I just uh, I looked over and I said, excuse me, you know, I, I, why are you looking at Hippocrates? You can ask me those questions. And so from that point on, I think, you know, our relationship built, uh, built um, significantly. And so, you know, we we were grant we are grant funded. And so at about a year in, we were like, you know, we need to be a little different um, because I had, I'd had experience in, in East Tennessee at a community health center, um, being that consultant, being kind of that go-to medication person. Um, 
Um, but we, we, we wanted to be a little different. So what we did is we came up with a, a different flow of the way providers will go into rooms. And so rather than having, um, you know, kind of uh, the prescriber being the bottleneck of the whole, basically the rate limiting step of the visit, we would have different providers go in um, at different points. So the pharmacist in this model was the triage clinician of every person that came in. And so, you know, a a while ago, probably eight or nine years ago, um, I decided, you know, at that time I was in a, in a diabetes treatment center, um, focusing on, focusing on diabetes. And I said, you know what, I really want to be able to do more, um, with my, um, expertise. And so I, I set this clinic up to see anything and everything drug related that would come in the door. And so we're the triage clinician, like I said, so we see, you know, schizophrenia, we see, um, STD, we see bipolar, diabetes, hypertension, any of those things that come in the door, we are triaging those things. So we go in as the pharmacist, or when I say pharmacist, I also take students, so from other health professions with me, so PA students, NP students, um, medical students, pharmacy, you know, not all of them at once, obviously, but um, we go in, we triage, we come out, um, make our preliminary plan, and we present it to the rest of the team. And um, then the team decides, so it's very much a team effort. The team decides kind of how we want to proceed. And then the nurse practitioner or the prescriber goes in, um, carries out our plan, and then I go on to the next room or the pharmacy um, or the pharmacist goes into the next room or our representative, such as a resident or um, the pharmacy student. So there's always... um, a either an NP student, a PA student, or a pharmacy student in on every visit um, as a triage clinician. One of the things we also are in charge of um, is interpreting every lab that comes in every morning. So we look at all the laboratory data that comes in every morning, and then we um, um, carry out that plan. So we, we make a plan, check it off, and then we um, you know, carry out that plan. So, um, that, so that model worked for about, uh, five years and we have some great data. I don't know if we have time to talk about data or anything, but, um, if, if we do, let me know. Um, so one of the things that we have found, so the last three years, we kind of switched our model, just tweaked it just a little, um, nationally, um, you know, we have a behavioral health issue um, in our country. You know, the, the lack of psych providers, lack of psychiatry, lack of behavioral health. And one of the things that has been noted, the reason for that is that, um, for instance, here in Nashville, if we diagnose someone with anxiety, depression, or some a patient needs, um, you know, if they have bipolar uh, disorder or something like that, we have to send them across town. The, the likelihood of them actually going to that visit um, is very unlikely, establishing with a new person. So the model that we have now is we still have that primary care Mercury Quartz model of that pharmacist going on, but we also have integrated in um, behavioral health into our clinic as well. So um, 
this the Ames Center out of University of Washington in Seattle started this model. We've adapted it to fit our our needs, but the, it embeds uh, behavioral health into primary care, and that's something that sh- that we're starting to see some really interesting um, benefits from and outcomes from. Um, you know, for instance. When, when the pharmacist would screen, so we, every person that comes in, uh, we screen um, for anxiety, depression, suicidality, um, you know, alcohol abuse. Um, I, I think I'm missing one, but I can't think of it right now. Um, and what we saw was about tw- 15 to 20 percent of our patients that were coming in for, you know, um, headache or sinus infection were screening positive for, for suicidal ideation. And, and so what we saw, and I, I think I actually mentioned this or not, I don't think I mentioned, I think uh, one of the team members mentioned it at the Dispensary of Hope uh, meeting that we, we presented back in the spring, is that between 75 and 80% of folks that um, are trying to commit suicide or, uh, or are successful with suicide have, have actually encountered a healthcare professional about in the last 30 days. So 80% of the time when folks are attempting suicide, they have actually been in to see someone unrelated to suicidality in the last 30 days. So as pharmacists, you know, you're probably wondering why am I even talking about this? As pharmacists, we have a prime time, you know, opportunity to interact with these patients, whether it be in our retail pharmacy, whether it be in our community pharmacy in our small towns, in hospitals, in in clinics, to just ask questions about how you how are you feeling, how is your behavioral, how are you doing, you know, psychiatrically, and so it's um, it's a huge opportunity for pharmacists, I do believe. Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 drug disposal of controlled substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready-to-use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products, which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste, compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com slash talk to your pharmacist. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, um, have been tracking the mental health first aid. Uh, I think the first time I saw, I heard about it was maybe around August of 2018. And, um, I, I, your point is spot on, uh, you know, a patient may go to the doctor's office like three or four times a year, but they're going to the pharmacy at least once a month to pick up some medicine. And so I think, um, pharmacists are a great, um, you know, point of, of being able to, um, ask questions and to to really be able to intervene there. So I think that's a great point. I think, um, and and wow, just the scope of practice that you're able to um, do at Mercury Courts is just really amazing. Um, and clearly, you were able to build that trust to be able to you know, recommend and then get that buy-in so many years ago to implement that type of 
uh, triage model and, and that team-based care. So um, love getting to hear more about that, those stories. Um, I think that there's a huge opportunity um, in the future of pharmacy, seeing more and more pharmacists being embedded in ambulatory care clinics. Um, you're seeing lots of large health systems uh, deploying pharmacists into their physician practice groups. So um, I hope that we'll see many more stories like Mercury Quartz happening. Um, wow. So yeah, um, Chad, if you if you wouldn't mind sharing maybe a little bit about the, some of the data that you guys have found, uh, that would be a, another great um, thing to share. Yeah. So let me pull up. Um, so we, this is... I think we published this back in 2016 or so, but it's still um, still relevant today, maybe 17. So what we looked at is kind of pre and post the pharmacist integration as a triage clinician. So we looked at um, controlled hypertension rates, appropriate asthma medications, appropriate use of aspirin, appropriate use of statin, um, and just really how many, how many times, and this is some... Um, nomenclature that we kind of made up, but evidence-based pharmacist consultations with prescriber and then medication consultations with the patient. So we, we use that PharmCon and MedCon for short, but what we saw, uh, so pre and post, so pre-pharmacist integration as triage clinician. So for instance, controlled hypertension. At that time, it was less than 140 over 90. We've waxed and waned from that um, since then, but pre-pharmacist integration as triage clinician, it was 32% of the folks were actually controlled. Post-pharmacist integration was 62%. Appropriate asthma medication usage, 50, uh, 46% pre, 78% post. Uh, appropriate use of aspirin, 58% pre, 92% post. Statin was 50% pre, 87% post. And the numbers I'm getting ready to say are, are the ones that I really, I think, hit home. I think... Um, the evidence-based pharmacist consultations with prescriber. So that was either with medicine or uh, nurse practitioner. So 25% of the time before I was actually the triage clinician, they were asking me questions. Like I was giving, imparting knowledge on them 25% of the time. Post, 89% of the time. So 89% of, 89% of the patients that came in I was actually giving them evidence-based recommendations versus 25% pre. And then um, the medication consultations with the patient. So at that time, we had Dispensary of Hope here in our clinic. Um, we had, um, okay, just a second. Um, we had um, 30% of the folks um, I would counsel on their, on their medications. So, you know, I may not see everyone at that time, but, and then, uh, they may get out of the door before I could actually see them. 75% of the um, patients after that. So dramatic increases in control rates of hypertension, asthma, appropriate use of medications, and just the pharmacist, you know, um, touching a patient or not, you know, not physically touching, but just looking at reviewing patient um, data, um, giving recommendations that was significantly increased as well. 
Yeah. Wow. And, and you never had any issues with, with people, with patients saying, why am I talking to the pharmacist? <laughs> you know, one of the things that is really interesting, um, no, in, in your short, no, I, I, we never had that here. I think, um, one of the things that we, from, from the very first day, things have, you know, titles and roles have kind of melted away and we do, we just try to approach the patient for what they need. So for instance, a patient may need a pharmacist. Um, the sole reason they come in to the clinic on a given day, maybe just to talk about their medications or to, you know, get control rates of the diabetes or something like that. And they may not need to see a provider, uh, a nurse practitioner or a physician or social worker that day. So it's really all hands on deck and we are truly trying to melt away roles and responsibilities and just try to address the patient for what they need. So patients, you know, understand that we're a very interprofessional team um, and they understand that they're going to be here longer than a 15 minute visit at a normal, quote unquote, normal doctor's office visit. They're going to be here 30 or 45 minutes because we we want to do wraparound care and do comprehensive care management. Uh, wow, that's great. And 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 that the model is set up to to where that you have time to do that. And and I think with that um team-based approach uh that that certainly allows for a little bit more of that. Um gosh, I could keep talking about this definitely more, but um we'll try to wrap <laughs> up here with uh the the last question that I like to ask all of the guests is um what is some advice that you would share with your younger self or for other pharmacists who are just getting started in their career? So um so my younger self, um, I think when when I got out of farm, when I got out of residency, uh, I took my job um, in a diabetes treatment clinic and at ETSU. I was probably a little more arrogant than I probably should have been. On I really want to prescribe medications. I want to be the one to prescribe and prescribe and prescribe. You know, like I, I want to be that person. Over the course of the last ten years, you know, I. My, my mentality has changed, um, and I wish I could go back and really wanted to um, um, advise my younger self that, to me, it is more important that the prescriber is more is educated because they can, they will see more patients than I will ever be able to see uh, in my career. So educating st- student prescribers, so whether it's MD, PA, in NP students that will have the power of the pen to prescribe, um, they will see a lot more patients than I'll ever see in my career. So making sure that they understand uh, the importance of the right medicine at the right time, at the right dose, evidence-based, um, and patient will is willing to take it, that's more important than who's writing the prescription. Um, well, Chad, thank you so much for sharing. Where is where could our listeners find some more information about this interprofessional work that you've been doing? Oh, well, um, <laughs> let's see. So um, there's some, uh, we have some some published manuscripts on, on PubMed. I mean, I'd be happy to send anybody if they would like to send, um, want to email me. Um, we can, 
the, the Clinic Mercury Records website, we're kind of revamping that. Um, we're actually getting ready to move in the summer to a new location. Um, and we're, kind of our model will kind of change, change just a little bit. So our, our website's really not that great. Um, we have a Twitter handle. Um, and I mean, I, I'm happy to talk with anybody, any listener that would like to reach out to me um, by phone, by email. Um, I'll be happy to, to, to talk with them. Absolutely. Awesome. And they can find you on, on Lipscomb's uh, yeah. University's yeah. website so, as well. Yeah. So it's, um, my email is cgentry, so C-G-E-N-T-R-Y, um, at lipscomb.edu. Um, yeah. And that, that's probably the best way to reach me, for sure. Awesome. Well, Chad, thanks so much for sharing uh, some of the great work that you've been doing. And we appreciate you being a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Well, I appreciate you asking me to be here. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at www.pharmacyadvisory.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.